0: You guys, hi, I'm Charlie Bleeker.
1: And I'm Sam Bleeker.
0: And this is Bleeker Bombs, a podcast where we talk about all our struggles, marital, parental, financial, and personal. Let's do this. Hello, everybody. Hi, Sam. Welcome. Hey, Charlie. I am feeling especially refreshed today. Do you want to know why? Why? (laughs) Because last night, Layla slept from about 12.30 until 7 30. Which means that I got at least a six hour stretch of sleep which is the longest stretch I've gotten since she was born almost 10 weeks ago now. Amazing. It's amazing. I don't know if this is going to be interesting to people at all but I want to talk a little bit about sleep training or what I think I'm doing is sleep training. We do her last feed of the night at around 10 30 p.m. And what I like to do for the last feed is because I'm breastfeeding. I like to do a bottle at 10 30 because then I can know exactly how many ounces she's getting. And if you're breastfeeding, you don't know how much they're getting. But the point is that say she only gets like two ounces if she was breastfeeding and then she wakes up at like 2 a.m., well, in my sleeping haze in the middle of the night and I'm wondering, is she actually hungry or can I kind of just try and soothe her back to sleep? But if I know that she's getting four ounces out of a bottle and she wakes up at 2 a.m., I know that she's not starving and that she can sleep longer without eating. So that's why I do the bottle at the at the last feed of the night. Last night. We did, uh, at 10.45, I gave her a bottle of four ounces. We've been trying to like up her to five ounces because I can't tell if four ounces is enough to get her all the way through. So she drank four ounces and it took a while to get the four ounces down. So I was like, she's probably fine. I'm just gonna put her down. So I put her down and I'm so tired. I get in bed. She'll make it down just long enough for me to fall asleep. And then she starts crying. And so then at this point now, you're trying to take over and pick her up and she's ramping up again. From 11.15 to 12.15, she kept crying and waking up, and we kept on soothing her back to sleep. And so at 12.15, I got one more ounce in a bottle. She was passed out right after that, went down at 12.30, and then made it all the way until 7.30.
1: It's very exciting.
0: (laughs) I mean, I am very excited about it. Now, I'm, I'm giving all the details because it's like, I don't even think we could replicate last night if we wanted to because she didn't do what we wanted her to do. Like I would, what I would prefer is that at ten thirty she takes a five ounce bottle, and then she goes down around 11, eleven, eleven thirty at the latest, because sometimes it takes an hour to get the bottle down, and then she sleeps through the night until you know seven a.m. But you just. You never know what they're going to do. And so, I think part of the reason, not only because she had enough the 5 ounces between 10:45 and 12:15 that could get her through, but also because she was so ramped up that she was just exhausted mm-hmm. so she could sleep all the way through to the morning. I'm certainly not going to try and do what we did last night and like give her some at 10:45 and then just like wait around until 12:15. So it's exciting that she did it, but at the same time, I'm not sure what's going to happen tonight. Yep. Do you have no thoughts about sleep training?
1: <laughs> I mean, you've really been taking the lead. <laughs> Normally, I'll do the ten thirty feed, but last night I didn't because I was very excited about watching the UNC Duke game. I went to Carolina, and so it was um, it was a lot of fun watching the game. And for me, I had probably eight to ten ounces of tequila, and then slept all the way till <laughs> seven o'clock.
0: Yeah, how were you feeling this morning?
1: I felt fine. I mean, I made the smart decision to switch to water kind of in the second half and I was just chugging water. Yeah. Anything um, He
0: comes into the bedroom after they won like a little bit loud for when I'm trying to, <laughs> I've got a sleeping baby in my arms and I'm like bleary eyed and just dead and I trying mean, to go to sleep. And I, you're just like ready to t- take do sprints around the house. I don't
1: think you understand. This was probably like the big, one of the biggest college basketball games ever like in term or it, it, like it may be the greatest non-national championship game to ever be played like the stakes couldn't have been higher
0: yeah and i like to watch these games with you but i was so tired if i came out after i got her to go down even though she wasn't staying down I knew that I was going to get
1: ramped up. Ramped up yeah. and
0: I just needed to go to sleep.
1: Right. But it's interesting cuz you just came in and you were talking to our neighbors and one of the guys said like, "Oh, I hope I didn't wake you up cuz me and this other guy were screaming in the street last night." And I just find that so bizarre.
0: I know. Like, These are I, 35 to 40-year-old men.
1: Yeah, I think they're 40-year-old men. Yeah. And it's like, so I'm 37, I, we're all about the same age, but I was so excited for this game. I had so much fun watching it. I probably drank a couple drinks more than I would have otherwise, but that was like the level of my celebration or my enjoyment of it. But the idea of screaming in the street, it's so bizarre. Yeah. And I don't understand anybody. I, do, <laughs> I feel like this a lot, actually, where I don't understand anybody in the world, maybe except you. Because we have a very similar world view. (laughs) But people just confuse the heck out of me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like something that you would have done with your buddies when you were in college. In college, I know. Well, speaking of people that we don't understand, that's a good segue into my parents' visit. Mm. Yes, we we did it. We did it. They were here for four nights. You know, it went well.
1: I thought it was probably the best trip we've had with them in years.
0: Before they came, you were really good about setting expectations and saying like, we knew they weren't going to cook or clean and being okay with that. And even though you did that, I still got frustrated because, not with cooking, cause you really, you had all the meals planned out and they were, they were really appreciative of, of all of the things that we made, but you made really. But I just would get so frustrated that they wouldn't help clean up. And then I end up, you know, in the bathroom, whisper, yelling, venting to you every chance that I can get.
1: The night before they got here, I started a brisket. I think I put it on like 10 10 o'clock and then it was going to come off around noon or one. And then it needed to rest for a few hours. And it was a lot of work. And what was nice about the brisket is like most things were cleaned up in advance of them arriving. But then even after dinner, it's like we were cleaning up the dishes but it didn't bother me because i didn't expect them to do it given the experience last trip but then as soon as you were in the bathroom being like i can't believe they didn't clean up then it got me being like you know what you're right i can't believe they didn't clean up (laughs) instead of just being like no i knew this was gonna happen it's fine if you also have a little empathy from their perspective they get such few vacations in any given year -hmm. And they're choosing to use vacation time to come visit us and spend time with their grandkids. It gives me a little more understanding where it's like it is a vacation for them.
0: Right. But it just like makes me feel like they don't have any awareness for like how difficult life is for us right now. One day I actually took a nap and my mom took Layla the entire time, which was great because then I could have like an uninterrupted, I think it was two hours in my room to sleep. I said afterwards like I kept saying like god that that nap was everything. And my dad started making a joke like yeah, you know, uh, I was telling I was telling mom that we should go visit Charlie so that uh so that she can nap. And he was saying it like sarcastically like as a joke and it's like that is why you should be coming down here because we have two kids and it would be great if you could help us out and let me take a nap.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. The only other thing shifting back to cleaning that I can think of with maybe why they they don't is
0: we're very particular. We're very
1: particular. We take cleanliness to an extreme. I think like in addition to no shoes in the house, which I think is very common, like and we have a certain way of loading the dishwasher, which I think is very common. I mean, we wash the dishes basically before we put them in the dishwasher. But there are just all sorts of areas where we take cleanliness to an extreme, and Your parents do not live like that. They live probably the way most people Mm -hmm. (laughs) live. And so maybe there's some pressure or discomfort with not knowing how we like things to be done so it's easier to not
0: do things. you're right. My dad is the worst offender though. (laughs) Why? I mean, just like candy bar wrappers on the floor and then like pulls a bag of bagels and butter out for breakfast for just himself which is fine but then leaves it on the counter for the rest (laughs) of the afternoon it's like why are you leaving this out
1: but again like uh, so our approach so one afternoon i made sliders for lunch and like the recipes from chef steps um they're so good and it requires griddles on the grill you're using mayonnaise there's a lot of grease like and um they turn out awesome but it's A lot of work to clean up. I could just see your parents looking at me like, you just made lunch. You just ate lunch. Why are you like running yourself around the house trying to get everything cleaned up? And Mm. for me, it's like, I feel more comfort when everything is put away. Everything's clean. The grill is covered. Whereas in your parents' household, your dad would have made burgers. The grill would have stayed dirty and uncovered until the next day. They don't live the same way we do, which is fine.
0: Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about with their visit was my whole issue with how they aren't interested in my writing, Mm. or it feels like they're not interested in my writing. I had rite of passage calls during the week, and there wasn't really too much talked about you know, what I was doing. And they actually, I thought my dad was going to be like, oh, I can't believe you're getting on these calls. And he really just didn't say anything. Well,
1: (laughs) he knew he was going to bed at 7.15. That's true.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't until the last day, right before they were leaving, that my mom asked me how my call was last night. And I was like, good. And I didn't know what else to say. I knew that that was like a moment that I could have said something, but I just said, good. And then she was like, so is there any way that we can read what you're writing or, or no? And I was just like, No, and then it was just like silence. And then my dad's like, she's probably writing about us. And then you and I like laughed a little bit. And that was it. In the moment I could feel like that I had missed my opportunity. And I was just like kicking myself. Like my mom like genuinely seemed interested and is asking me about my writing. I was trying to figure out afterwards, like what happened? Like, why was I not prepared to actually tell her? Whenever I try to talk about things that matter to me with my family, I always feel like I get interrupted or they don't think it's interesting. There's always this feeling that I need to say everything perfectly and quickly or I'll lose them. Anytime somebody's talking, somebody else is trying to hijack the conversation and take it somewhere else. So if there's something that you want to talk about, the only way the conversation is going to stay there is if, I think... You're an amazing storyteller, which I wish I was. But if it's just something of me talking about like this thing that's really important to me, then I'm just afraid that they're not interested. So I think that in the moment when, that, when my mom asked me, it felt so loaded. And I knew that I wasn't going to articulate it in a short, concise way. So I just didn't say anything.
1: The way you just described your family dynamic reminds me of Matthew McConaughey talking about his dinner table growing up and how everybody was loud and boisterous and uh, great storytellers. And when you got your opportunity, if you blew it, people would hijack it instantly. Right. But he internalized that like, okay, I really need to hone the craft of storytelling and get better so that I can captivate the family. And so if you take that mentality, use each of those opportunities, not as like stress points to not say anything, use it to like, say it in a way that gets them interested. I think you need to be comfortable explaining what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then if they hijack the conversation or it doesn't resonate or they move on, not like getting worked up. You think you blew this opportunity with your mom. She showed an interest. You didn't really elaborate and that's fine. It just means next time you have to be the one that initiates it.
0: Well, I think that's what I want to do, and I don't ever want to be spontaneous because I I feel like I need to be scripted. But I am already thinking about my next conversation with her, which it's going to have to be on the phone because we're not going to see them again until September. But so, even that, fine.
1: Like even if it's in September, who like there shouldn't be pressure to tell her everything right now. It's like when the situation warrants, you can calmly explain your ambitions and pursuits and what you're doing so that in a way that she understands and also not having any expectations that she's going to respond in the way you want her to. Right. If she changes the subject or, well, okay, it wasn't meant to be that time. And you'll try again the next time and the next time. That's the only way it's going to work for you.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's, let's do a little money talk, babe. Okay. Okay. You launched a fund last September in uh, September of 2021. Yep. It hasn't been going well. Correct. <laughs> so, since I've known you, you know you've invested in stocks publicly, uh, your own money. Now with the fund, you're investing other people's money. So there's a little bit more pressure. But you've always told me like, oh, the stocks are up or the stocks are down or we made this much money today or we lost this much money today. And even when it's been bad, you've always told me, well, you know, we're it's a long term, it's a long game. And so anytime you tell me that things are not going well, I'm like, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter. Or if we lost money today, that it doesn't matter because we're going to make up for it in the long run. I've never been worried by anything that the stock market's doing. And I've always believed that whatever you're doing is going to eventually work because it usually does. But this is the first time that I've actually seen you really stressed out, like more stressed out than I've ever seen you before and more down. And it's, coincided with having an infant and a toddler and it just feels like this time of I guess the past six months have been just like especially hard on you I want to just open it up to you to kind of share about it
1: sure prior to the fund I was investing in private companies with another firm and then I was investing in public companies with our capital as long as we've known each other and my capital prior to that the performance track record was really strong it's like it was like 25 percent annualized returns in the public book for over a decade i leveraged that track record and prior relationships to raise this fund and it was a long time coming it was like i've been thinking about launching a fund for three four five years now and i finally did it i was excited about it i had the right group of partners who have a long a long-term mindset they understand that it's a concentrated strategy and it's going to be volatile by happenstance, it like it just coincided with a sell-off in markets, particularly small-cap growth stocks. The entire fund is not invested in um, growth; it's kind of a mix of of value and growth. But at least on the growth side, it's been a tremendous sell-off. And
0: what's a sell-off?
1: Like stocks go down. Oh. And so the fund has been down significantly more than the S and P 500, which is kind of the benchmark in the in this six-month time frame. Now, I've never measured myself in a six-month time frame, but when it's the, the first six months of the fund and you're trying to build additional trust and, and a track record with partners, that's like kind of where the added pressure comes in. There's also like this, this saying that's in investing, don't confuse brains with a bull market. Part of me, I guess, has these doubts. Like, am I really a good investor? Um, or have I just been confusing brains with a bull market for the past decade? I don't actually believe that. I think it's more I'm worried that other people are going to think that but I still have a tremendous amount of confidence in my approach and my strategy. This is the formative stage of building grit and resilience into the organization and I'm going to go through many more hard times in the future and hopefully I can always look back at this period like remember when I just launched and I was down a lot and then made it through and it's like those qualities of grit and resilience are something that I want to pass down to our kids and so I never want them to be afraid to pursue their passions and dreams out of fear of failure and it's okay to fail and so I want to I want to set that example it has been stressful I think a big part of it is ego-based like I want other people to think that I'm a great investor I always come back to, I need to continue to have belief in my strategy and my approach. Okay, so speaking about UNC basketball, so Huber Davis, this was his first year as head coach. Uh, Roy Williams, legendary coach, retired at the end of last year. Huber Davis played for Carolina, played in the NBA, and then was an assistant coach under Roy Williams for a while. He took over. The season started, at, at the time, a lot of people didn't like that, or didn't think he was the best fit to be named head coach. They wanted UNC to hire some big name from another program the season started off really rough unc was getting blown out they were losing a lot of games the players weren't playing well so many fans and media heads were calling for like huber davis to be fired they never thought he would make it and he just had this steadfast belief In his approach and his ability to communicate with his players and his ability to continue to develop them as basketball players and and people, it worked in like this incredibly short period of time. And he's just so even keeled. Like they asked him if he was nervous leading up to this Duke game. I mean, which as I kind of said, it's like the highest stakes in college basketball. It's his first year as a head coach. He said, "Like, what is there to be nervous about? This is a basketball game." (laughs) And I think about that with investing in the fund it's like what is there to be nervous about I mean it's money as long as we never run out of money it's like it doesn't matter if we have a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars at the end of it
0: the way you're talking about it right now is super practical and it makes sense but you know in the the day-to-day of the stresses, it doesn't always feel, or I can't tell if you actually believe that. I've just been thinking lately about my role in our family and how how lucky I am because pretty much since we got, even before we got married, I haven't had to work in a job that I didn't want to work. So, you know, my whole young adult life, I've always worked in restaurants and done jobs to pay the bills to support whatever else I was doing. So before I was like acting and screenwriting and they were all things I could only do on the side and I don't have to do that anymore and I'm so lucky that I can spend all of my mental energy on things that I actually want to be spending them on so my writing and this podcast and the writing course and then just parenting I feel like I I'm so stressed out all the time still And I don't have a job that I don't want to work at. And I just remember how stressful it was when I did. When you are working at a job that you don't want to work at, it's so hard to have any space for things that actually make you happy because it's just draining and exhausting. And I think I take it for granted that you have to deal with all the pressure of providing for us. I just wanted you to know and feel like it's not all on you and that this podcast is something like, for instance, that I could put away for a little bit, you know, if it meant me taking the kids a little bit longer, and you having more time to research companies, or, or do whatever you have to do, because the most important thing, and we say this all the time, is our family, this family un- unit, and whatever we need to do to be happy and succeed, then uh, I want to do that, and right now, I just feel like a lot of it falls on you.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I have plenty of time to do the work I need to do when George is in daycare and you're taking 90% of the job of caring for Layla. So I think this is like a temporary period where we're overwhelmed. But going back to your earlier point where like sometimes during the day-to-day, I get so overwhelmed and you don't know if I actually believe what I'm saying. That's an interesting point. I think I definitely believe what I'm saying, but I don't want to like hide from all of the pain and discomfort of entrepreneurship and being an emerging fund manager, Dan McMurtry, Super Magatu, he has this view that most emerging managers fail, not because of investing performance, but it's all of the other things. And it's like, you're trying to research stocks and then you're trying to run a business. And then at the worst possible time, you have something happen with family or like somebody gets sick. And this week I was coordinating with my accountant for 2021, like estimated payments, and then figuring out what we need to estimate for Q1 of 2022. And it's like 2021 was a really good year in terms of our investments. And so we're going to have this massive tax bill, which I was expecting, although I wasn't expecting it to be quite this high. The fund is down. I certainly don't want to withdraw. Money from the fund. I mean, there's, that's terrible optics, particularly in light of early performance. Like, I don't want any other investor to get spooked because I'm pulling money out, even if it's for a valid reason. So this week, I was like stressed about that. I'm trying to figure out like which pocket of liquidity I want to access to pay this massive tax bill. And. These are extraordinarily high-class problems. We have a high tax bill because we made a ton of money last year. And also, we have these various pockets of liquidity that we can tap into. But it was still like just really stressful trying to figure out where to access these funds. (laughs) Right. But look, entrepreneurship is supposed to be hard. And I think it has to be hard or everyone would do it. I mean, look at Elon Musk. He almost ran out of money at Tesla a couple different times. He made it through. And now he's one of the richest, if not the richest man in the world. It's like that grit and resilience going back to that and those traits that entrepreneurs need to have.
0: And this all may fail,
1: but that's okay. It's like, at least I went for it, you know?
0: Yeah. You asked me before we started recording, if I'm happy... You ask me that a lot, actually. I do. I am happy. I feel like I've been more and more happy since you've been in my life. But I still don't feel like I have things figured out. And I still feel that if I am happy, then I shouldn't be as stressed out as I am. Sometimes I wonder if I'm doing things the wrong way for me to feel like I always feel like there's never enough time in the day. And I guess part of that is good because then I'm, I'm driven and I'm ambitious and I'm I'm trying to do a lot of things that fulfill me and feel important and feel good. But at the same time, someone just told me about this time with the baby and how you can just let other things go and just focus on the baby. And I really struggle with that. Part of me is wondering if I'm parenting wrong by not just focusing on her and not just focusing on George because I still am doing my newsletter every week and doing this podcast every week and trying to be involved with rite of passage. When I do that, I feel sometimes like I'm trying to do too much and then I'm, I'm not sleeping well and I'm you know, like I'm on edge. And then I think, okay, well, what if I took all those things away? What if I just decided to pause, you know, pause my newsletter, pause the podcast, not be involved in this cohort at all of Rite of Passage, and just focused on parenting. But when I think about that, I think, then I would also be, Feeling down because all I would be doing w- would be parenting. I would be thinking about all the things that I'm not doing. And you said earlier, my days would still fill up and I would still feel stressed out. I'd probably spend more time figuring out our meal plans and figuring out house things and things in the yard. Not in the yard. You do all the yard stuff, but, you know, organizing different rooms in the house and decorating or whatever, whatever it is. Your time fills up no matter what, no matter what's on your plate. And so, keeping these things that creatively fill me up and and that's why i'm doing them it is i think it is the right decision but there's still this kind of balance going on where if i'm happy love you i love our life i love our kids and i love what i'm doing creatively then why do i have to feel so stressed out all the time
1: and i'm in the same boat like i've never been happier yet i still have like those day-to-day moments where i just feel overwhelmed and flooded and um kind of like don't handle my emotions and I think that's the answer it's like we we don't need to do less at this point we need to figure out how to manage stress better and we need to figure out how like it's okay if not everything on our list gets checked off each day look if it would fill your soul to to pause the newsletter and to pause the podcast and and spend all of the time with Layla and George then yeah I think you should can you should do that but I don't think you should do that because you're stressed out. Like I think e- you would either resent them or like just resent the situation and you would be stressed out about all the things you're not doing. The best example you could set for our kids to be ambitious and follow their passions and creative is we both like to, to be doing those things. And it's like we talked about how not to have them be raised entitled and lazy. I think the best way is via example by going after our passions vigorously.
0: Right. And that's why I'm still doing everything. I think the reason why I've been qu- starting to think about it again is because of how stressed out you've been and just feeling like I want to feel like I'm contributing as much as you. And sometimes I feel like you've got so much more on your plate that it's not balanced.
1: Well, I appreciate that. But I, I'm thrilled with the, the balance in our relationship and life. I don't want you to handle any of the financial stuff, but I want you to like be very in tune with what's happening and like even taxes for instance like that's one area where I've kind of just like taken the lead and not really included
0: yeah no I have no idea anything about our taxes
1: right and like look it's compli- you say
0: we, our tax bill is really high I'm like that means we made a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> I think checking in with myself is something that I need to do more often because the laundry list of items to do is always growing. And like you said, like you can't always cross it off, but then you can just think, okay, well, I'll tackle this list the next day. And then I don't, don't zoom out and look at the big picture. Or,
1: well, on the to-do list though, it just made me think of this matrix that I've seen in the past. It's like a two by two matrix on the one axis is urgency. So is it very urgent or not urgent? So that has to do with timing, right? And then the other axis would be impact or Like importance. So, something with high urgency and high importance should obviously get done today, right? But where most people, and I think I fall victim to this, like I'll prioritize high urgency but low impact items because it's high urgency because it's on my today's to do list. But if it's low impact, I should really be letting those things fall to the next day, and instead focusing on the low urgency but really high impact items.
0: What's an example?
1: An example with high urgency but low impact would be yard work. That could fall to the next day. Even cooking dinner on a night would be like high urgency but low impact. Like if I get takeout or I pull something out of the freezer, it's not gonna change our day. Low urgency, but high impact would be like, I find a new company I'm really excited about. There's no urgency for me to research that company today, but it could have life-changing impact if I find the next Amazon. So So optimizing
0: for the low urgency, high impact items.
1: Yeah, and high urgency, high impact, but those are, it's like, obviously we're going to get those done because it's like they need to get done. Um, But I guess letting the low impact items fall to the next day and i have always prided myself like i'm just getting the whole list done mm. and now i'm at a place where i can no longer get the list done there's too much that with kids and uh, um and a, and a business and being okay with that
0: well i think i always let things fall to the next day like what emailing people back and thank you cards and calling people back i've got like a list of four friends that i want to call this month And those feel like important. I need to prioritize those actually because I'm investing in a friendship. But then I'm like, oh, I don't have time. I don't need to do that today. I'll call them tomorrow. And so I just keep pushing things off. Right.
1: So that would be an example, like calling your closest friends would be an example of, Low urgency, but high impact.
0: Exactly. What I actually did last night was I I mapped out April instead of, because usually I map out the week and I mapped out April and it's like, I need to get these things done in this month. If I put it on my week's to-do list, I can keep pushing it out to the following week. But if I have it happening within a month and I'm just trying this out, so we'll see how it goes, then I think maybe I'll get more of those high impact, low urgency urgency items actually accomplished. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's end with a movie recommendation. We watched our first movie since Layla was born. We don't watch movies that much, honestly. We usually just watch TV shows. When my parents are visiting, we watched Coda. It's not like we're telling anybody things that they don't know. This movie just won Best Picture, so it's not like you got to watch this movie, this little movie that we just like found out about. No, everybody knows about this movie, but it was so, so good. I cried at least three times throughout the movie, not in a way that's like, oh, it's so sad, you don't want to watch it, in a way that just, like, it's so heartwarming. Sam said that if my mom wasn't in the room, he would have been sobbing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was definitely still crying throughout, but, um, yeah, it would have been, like, oh, yeah. that ugly cry.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's about... So, I didn't know what CODA stood for. What does it stand for?
1: Child of Deaf
0: Adults, maybe? Child of Deaf Adults? Okay. I don't know. Something like that. So, this the main character she's in high school and her parents and her brother are all deaf and she's not and she also happens to have this amazing gorgeous singing voice and she tries out for the choir and uh, her family's business is not doing well or all the fishermen are losing their
1: they're just getting squeezed i guess by the squeezed, um yeah. like the the broker yeah who's ever making the marketplace.
0: And the daughter is basically has always been the one that signs for them and communicates for them. And she's the the translator for them. And so she's not able to really live her own life. And it's just this beautiful story about her kind of finding her way and her family supporting her.
1: I heard about it for the first time, actually, from Bill Simmons. And I always like his recommendations. I mean, I think he anytime he's recommended something I tend to like it um, We
0: really watch everything that he recommends <laughs> well
1: once someone gets a like a reputation for having I guess similar viewing habits like then it, it just makes it easy because he's never given a bad recommendation I don't think but uh to to us at least in our
0: well we started watching the Beatles one and then oh
1: that wasn't good (laughs) oh you're right no he loved that I did not everybody
0: Um, well I don't know if everybody loved it but we watched we watched like 45 minutes and then I was like maybe we'll watch it again tomorrow and that, that was done
1: a few things from the movie that like really resonated with me one like having our kids think of the family as a unit and like what is best for the unit And at one point she needed to sacrifice practice time so that she could translate for her family because that was the only way like the family could earn a living by selling fish and they couldn't do it without her. So there what I, like it was so interesting because it was out of necessity. So I actually think that necessity was a a gift. So few kids have to sacrifice to be this key contributor to their family. Yeah. Uh, But I, I think figuring out ways that our kids are valuable contributors to the family at a young age and like where we really need their expertise or insights is a really cool framework. And then also we talked about how championing, championing individual pursuits that family members have, even if we can't necessarily relate or we don't have a similar interest. And they ultimately did that with her singing career. They couldn't even hear the words, but they knew how important it was to her. Yeah. And so they like figured out ways to support her and her passions and her pursuits. I want to do that for our kids. We heard this on some podcasts, like where one idea was like, figure out whatever your kid is passionate about and go deep in that, even if you're not. Right. And like where it was like going to I don't know, some video game conference um, or like going down the rabbit hole on some like YouTube musician <laughs> or something that originally the parent had no interest in. But as you delve into something that is giving them joy, like then it could become this common interest. And that's exactly what happened here. And so, the, like, those are the types of things I want to emulate as our kids
0: grow up. Yeah, it's no wonder that this movie really spoke to us. Yeah. Really aligned with our values as a family. Mm-hmm. So, highly recommend. <laughs> so does the rest of the country <laughs> or the world. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. Uh, anything else you want to add? Take it away, Sam.
1: <laughs> <laughs> one request. So we've gotten some great feedback from your uh, your audience of readers. One area that could be interesting is if there are topics they want us to elaborate on. So, like one idea we've been talking about whether we're comfortable is sharing like the in depth. Dynamics of our financial situation and our income and net worth and all of that.
0: One is our marital arguments, which the past two episodes we haven't discussed, but there's plenty of those to go around. Really?
1: I don't think we've been fighting as much.
0: We still fight though. Like I can always take notes on an argument that we can talk about, definitely. But I don't know if that's just like we're kind of repeating because, like I have mentioned before, we kind of fall into the same pattern. So it's like a different argument but really it's kind of the same mm-hmm. so i don't know if that's something that people want to keep hearing more of we were talking recently about our prenup oh yeah that we signed and then we also at some point want to talk about our relationship with drinking alcohol mm-hmm. I, w- I haven't really felt like the need to talk about it just because i haven't been drinking that much being pregnant and now breastfeeding so
1: yeah i'm about to open a beer <laughs>
0: <laughs> i for will those, have a glass of wine today but
1: i wondering it's three o'clock on a sunday <laughs>
0: All right. I'm going to go feed Layla. You're going to go get Georgia from his nap and everyone else. Enjoy the month. Make your plan for the month like me. No, no, that's not good.
1: Charlie is looking for this like incredibly powerful sign off right now. And it's really funny seeing her like rack her brain and then throw it to me. Like maybe (laughs) I'll have something brilliant.
0: I I just hate ending things. I don't like to say goodbye. All right, guys. Until next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.